Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When do you decide enough is enough? Do you make the most of the time you have at an elite sport level? These are the main topics on Anything But Footy this week. I'm Michael. I'm John. We'll speak to one of the British team hoping for medals at the second ever European Games. British success in the swimming pool and the white water at the World Cup in Lee Valley. And we have our own Anything But Footy Father's Day special. And we'd love to hear from you, of course, on Anything But Footy. You can always email us. We love to read your comments throughout the course of the week. Anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. You can tweet us, anythingbutf. And you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on YouTube. And please like, share, listen, and download the podcast from your usual podcast provider. And do me a favour this week. Tell a friend about Anything But Footy and share the good news. And, well, talking of good news, we're actually going to start with some good news for Andy Murray because he is going to be back on the court. We'll deal with that in a moment. And some bad news this week for Chris Froome. The cyclist is lucky to be alive after a high-speed crash. He fractured his neck, his leg, his hip, his elbow and his ribs. He's been in intensive care, but he has posted a picture of himself on the internet with the thumbs up, the traditional thumbs up to say he is on the mend, but it will be a long road to recovery. Chris Froome faces six months of rehab. The crash happened during a practice ride in France ahead of stage four of the Criterium. Moments before he was actually caught, he was filmed by ITV4, being warned by one of his teammates after he tried to put a jacket on without holding the handlebars. The crash happened with him doing around about 54 kilometres an hour and the explanation for it was that whilst blowing his nose, a gust of wind caused him to hit a wall and be airlifted to hospital. And this happened all in the same week that he could be declared the winner of the 2011 Velta as well after the original winner uh, was found guilty of a doping offence. I don't know if you saw Garrett Thomas's tweet. He said, only Chris Froome could be in a hospital bed in intensive care and add another Grand Tour title (laughs) to his role of honour, which I thought was a very good way of summing things up for Garrett Thomas. First and foremost, John, we send our best wishes to Chris Froome, one of the greatest British cyclists certainly in our lifetime and probably ever. 
Uh, the first ever Grand Tour winner, if indeed he is awarded that 2011 Vuelta, coming before Bradley Wiggins and the 2012 Tour de France. But, yeah, what does this say about elite cyclists and the chances they take and obviously the consequences that some of those chances, some of those catastrophes can bring? Six hours of surgery, six weeks in hospital he'll be, uh, out for six months, the 34-year-old. I think normally, Michael, you'd be saying that Chris Froome or the cyclist or whoever this happened to, well, they're not going to come back, are they? They're not going to be a yellow jersey material. I don't think you can rule out, and I don't think the rules apply, for Chris Froome, the four-time winner of the Tour de France. He dragged himself from Kenya via Johannesburg at school to top world cycling. Um, He's the most unassuming man as well. We've had the pleasure of interviewing him in Rio just before the Olympics in in 2016. And and one of our kind of proudest moments was really to interview him. You know, he'd just come back after success of winning the the Tour de France. And, you know, he made us incredibly welcome. And you just think, wow, what a guy. But he's got so much steel and determination. He's broken a bone in his neck, his leg, his hip, his elbow. And as you say, a, a gust of wind blowing him off uh, off course at 34 miles an hour. I mean, you know, you remember watching um, as growing up about, um, um, you know, don't drive more than 30 miles an hour outside schools because what could happen to, uh, to, to school children with a car? I mean, imagine on being on a bike at that speed and losing control and, as you say, hitting a wall. It's, it's absolutely incredible and we do wish him well. Danny Rowe, who's the former Olympic cycling champion from 2012, of course, she suffered a really serious training accident in 2014, which left her with broken ribs and a collapsed lung. And she said that, you know, returning from such a serious injury is a challenge in itself, but also for the mind, not just the body. And I think that will be the thing for for Froome because he's so determined to come back and he's already issued a statement. I know how lucky I am to be here. I'm focusing on looking forward. Longer recovery ahead, but starts now. You know, he's got to be patient. And that's the thing that you, you in, in some ways, he's got to do a bit like what Andy Murray's done and go, well, actually, I might not I might not be back. But with Chris Froome, you know that he is so determined and he's issued that statement. And Geraint Thomas and everyone has said, you know, he'll be back. But you just got to say to him, just be patient as well. Don't try and push it too hard. Yeah, apparently the first words he uttered when he came round after his surgery was, you know, when will I be able to get back on my bike? And it's interesting that we both automatically put Chris Froome and Andy Murray together in this topic. And if you listen back to episode 12 of Anything But Footy, we called it What Now for Athletics after Casta Semenya. We also put in there a special Tour de Yorkshire report. Now, I've had the pleasure of covering not a load of cycling, but quite a bit of cycling. I've done every edition of the Tour de Yorkshire. I've done the Grand Depart for the Tour de France and and John has obviously been at track cycling World Cup events as I have and we've seen it at Olympic and Commonwealth Games level but you simply don't realise I don't think until you've actually seen them just how rapid and how quick these guys are going Mm. and certainly if you're looking at them in a road race something like a Tour de Yorkshire Tour de France or here of course as a a practice ride ahead of the the stage and the criterium they are doing all these other things as well as cycling they're taking food on board they're taking fluids on board they're communicating with their teams in the cars they're getting changed for the weather conditions they're putting gloves on they're taking gloves off they're doing all these things whilst riding at those speeds and you know normally of course most people are doing it and they're getting away with it if you like and they are they are doing it okay and they are getting around the route but on this occasion obviously Chris Froome 
a few things just came together, didn't they, at the wrong moment in time. And that's, of course, why he's ended up in hospital. Interesting you talked there about that time that, that you and I sat down and interviewed him in a, in a room at the, uh, the <laughs> British school in Rio de Janeiro. Very unassuming character. And, you know, both you and I have met, met quite a few of the leading British cyclists, if you like. We've interviewed the likes of Chris Hoy, Bradley Wiggins, Mark Cavendish. And, you know, I put Bradley Wiggins and Mark Cavendish in the, the tricky characters box as far as um, interviewing is concerned. You don't get a lot when you speak to Jason Kenny. Um, he's got a very dry sense of humour, but I don't think you ever leave an interview with him thinking, you know, I've really learned something today. I've been really wowed by that. But I think we both were with, with Chris Froome, and probably unexpectedly so, because he's never been one of these sort of characters like Bradley Wiggins. And what was interesting was we interviewed him before his event. He was in the road race, and then he was in the time trial. And then I went to interview him again after the time trial when he won a medal. And we were, were stood on the, the beach in the pouring rain in Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> I was telling someone this week, it hadn't occurred to me that that Olympics was taking place in the winter in Brazil. I didn't take anything other than shorts and T-shirts, but that's another story. <laughs> and and, he, and he, he came onto the beach and there was five or six of us waiting to be interviewed. He just came straight over to me. He was like, hi, how you doing? Yeah, we met the other day. It's, it's the radio station. He mentioned the radio station name. You know, I think we'd had a discussion at some point about being away from families and stuff, and that was the kind of level of small talk that we had. I've never had that level of small talk <laughs> with the likes of, of Mark Cavendish or, or Bradley Wiggins and others. So, you know, I do think he is, um, for all his success, he's probably never quite achieved that level of, of fame, if you like, with the British public, has he? Certainly not the level of fame that Mark Cavendish and, and Bradley Wiggins have had. Mm. Um, but, but the success he's had, you just can't argue. And then, as we said, it looks like he's going to have another grand tour, another, another Velta there as well coming up. Talking of success, someone who you shouldn't ever write off, and I, I mentioned him, is, is Andy Murray. And, you know, Michael, we've, we haven't really talked about Andy Murray amazingly on anything but footy because he actually kind of broke down in tears and announced at the Australian Open earlier on this year that he couldn't really go on anymore. And we weren't actually doing anything but footy at that point. So we've talked about him and his, his kind of comeback and he started the London Marathon and we told him don't ever run the London Marathon and that kind of <laughs> that kind of thing. But we've never really paid tribute to the guy. But actually, we probably shouldn't have done. And, and the world's media and he shouldn't have written himself off because, you know, he's coming back. And, and, and this is, you know, we'll see how he gets on at Queen's. But if he does come back to some kind of... Um, something that he will be proud of and I think he's going to focus on doubles to start with uh, and then maybe by the end of this year look at singles but it's all about doubles for the for the foreseeable future I mean this will be a story and a half and will add to his double Olympic gold medals his three-time Grand Slams two at Wimbledon of course the first Brit to win the British man to win Wimbledon um, since nine you know in 77 years so you know it will be another great story for Sir Andy Murray but you know, I, I was doing a bit of looking back on this. He was struggling at Wimbledon when I first went to cover Wimbledon a couple of years ago uh, for, for the radio station LBC. And it was the first time I'd done it. And it was 2017. And I can remember, um, you know, he, he got he lost to, to Sam Querrey and he was saying that his hip has been causing him problems. And, you know, he had it since he was a child. I can remember seeing him at the All England Club in practice because the outside courts at Wimbledon in the week 
in leading up to the All England Championships, they, they, they use those courts to practice. And I literally sat and watched him with his then coach, Ivan Lendl, and he was in pain then. He was still hobbling even before he was then about to go in and try and defend his, his Wimbledon title because, of course, he'd, he'd won it in 2016. And, uh, you know, it's, it was amazing to see that. And that was two, you know, coming up to two years ago. But now... His, his, his demeanour has changed. He's so looking forward to playing. He, he says he's lost his tribal competitive edge, um, which I think is, you know, is something that some people hated about him at the start of his career. You know, he would be so angry and so determined um, that he didn't quite channel it the right way. But what a, what a glorious swan song this could be for the 32-year-old who probably watched Nadal win his 18th Grand Slam title at Roland Garros last weekend uh, enviously. But if he can come back, he's going to play with Feliciano Lopez at Queen's, then probably Eastbourne and Wimbledon. He's got pedigree in the doubles with you know J- brother Jamie helping Britain win the Davis Cup in 2015. Lesser at the Olympics, we won't mention that. But you know what a comeback this would be if Andy Murray returns to some kind of level on a tennis court. Well, you know, you talk about Olympics. Remember, he did win that medal with Laura Robson in the mixed doubles as well, the the year of 2012. So, you know, as you say, there is that pedigree in Olympics and uh, and in doubles tennis, I should say. And I just think it's 32 years of age. I mean, not everyone is Roger Federer. Not everyone can keep on going, winning titles, big titles year after year. He was probably heading towards the swan song of his career anyway. And I wonder whether, a little bit like Martina Navratilova back in the day, going and attempting now to win some doubles tournaments might just be a way of, of lengthening his career on court. And I've said it before on a previous episode of Anything But Footy, but I think Andy Murray has so, so much to offer the, the sport, not just the sport yep. of tennis, but sport generally. I really do think all the things that he's said and done his mature approach. And I know there's been some very sort of highly publicised moments, but sticking up for women's tennis um, particularly, uh, I think has been something that shown Andy Murray will be uh, potentially a great statesman for his sport. And I hope he chooses to go down that route. You know, whether that is coaching, whether that is grassroots initiatives, whether that is taking a leading role at the LTA, I hope he goes down that route and he doesn't just find a couple of weeks every year to go and sit in the tv studio if that's what he chooses to do i completely understand it because he'll get very well paid for it he's worked incredibly hard in his career he's got a young family now and he can deserve to he deserves to enjoy that time but i really do think he and the work that his mother judy murray's been doing as well in grassroots initiatives i really do think he's got a tremendous amount to offer once he holds his racket up or hangs his racket up but i do think now by maybe turning his attention towards doubles maybe teaming up with his his brother again maybe he has got a great opportunity to to win a few more titles and add to those singles titles realistically honestly though whereas i can see chris froome being back on top of a podium in something like a tour de france or a giro i can't see andy murray lifting a wimbledon trophy again you might disagree personally my personal opinion is i don't think he will get back to that level as a singles player by the way, I agree with Boris Becker, who said this week it was time for the under-28s to step up and win the men's titles. So, in <laughs> other words, stopping Nadal, Federer and Djokovic dominance. 12 of the last 14 Grand Slams have been won by that trio. And since Murray at Wimbledon 2016 and Stan Wawrinka won the US Open that year too. And in fact, I was then I was like, this is really interesting. In fact, Roger Federer won the first of his tri- of, of, of the trio, um, a Grand Slam, in Wimbledon 2003. Only seven other men have won major titles in 16 years. 
and um, Andy Murray's won three of them, and Stan Ravinka has won three of them as well. So 11 of the 64 titles available were won by somebody else but that trio. 53 Grand Slams to Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. We do, we love them, and, and Murray has been part of that, and Ravrinka, but we do need to see some more youngsters coming through and, and taking those titles. Uh, if you want to know who the seven were, Andy Murray, Stan Ravrinka, Andy Roddick, Gaston Gaudier, Marit Safin, Juan Martin Del Potro, and Marin Cilic. They're the only people who've won Grand Slam titles, men's titles, since 2003. Wow. You're listening to Anything But Footy. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. Facebook, Insta, YouTube. You can tweet us anything but F as well. Still to come, we'll be hearing from a man, a boxer, who's heading off to Mints very shortly for the European Games. We'll round up everything that's happened in the Canoe Slalom World Cup, which has been taking place at the Lee Valley as well. But we started this episode by saying, when do you decide enough is enough? How do you make the most of the time you have. Andy Murray and Chris Froome are certainly trying to make the most of the time they had. And I think it's right and proper on anything but footy that we mentioned Gabrielle Grunewald, who's died at the age of 32. She was a US runner, described as an inspiration, and she certainly made the most of the time she had on Earth. She fought cancer for 10 years, and during that period of time, she very nearly qualified for the Olympic Games in London in 2012. She was a US indoor champion, a middle-distance runner, who ran various distances between 800 metres and 5,000 metres. The US Olympic Committee have said thank you for teaching us what it means to be brave and courageous. Your story and memory will inspire the Team USA family for a lifetime. Joe Pavey has also paid her tribute. The running community has lost someone very special, a truly inspiring and courageous person. Now, as well as being an elite runner at the very top end, Gabrielle Grunewald also founded a charity called Brave Like Gabe, which funded research and raised awareness of rare cancer. She continued to race throughout her treatment. She had major surgery in 2016. They removed half her liver. They left her with a very large visible scar across her tummy, but she resumed running straight after. Gabrielle Grunewald, who's died recently at the age of 32. You're listening to Anything But Footy. The European Games in Minsk are taking place soon. We'll be hearing from one of the men in Team GB. Well, also, uh, in the UK, certainly, it's Father's Day whilst we record that. So we'll be talking about some of our own special memories of watching sport with our dads. But the Canoe Slalom World Cup has been taking place at the Lee Valley Complex, which, of course, hosted Canoe Slalom in London in 2012 at the Olympic Games. And what a fantastic few days of canoeing or two days in particular of the three-day event for the British team four golds two silvers and one bronze Mallory Franklin uh, the winner the gold medalist in the K1 and the C1 categories Uh, also medals for the likes of Joe Clark who was an Olympic gold medalist in Rio in 2016, he won the K1 gold medal. Etienne Schaffel as well in the International Extreme Slalom Canoeing, which was a fantastic event. And just listening and reading a few of the interviews over the last couple of days, Joe Clark has credited the home support after a small error in the final. Very nearly lost him uh, the, the event, but he said the home support was absolutely tremendous. And it's certainly legacy in action for that Lee Valley complex, a terrific venue. Some of those exhibition events that aren't going to be in the Olympics, certainly in the next two or three editions, like the International Extreme Slalom, really caught the public imagination. If I was to have one criticism about the Canoe Slalom World Cup, I don't think we saw enough 
publicity about it. Certainly, I don't think um, enough newspapers or, or media were, were were covering the event because you know I really do think canoeing when we get round to Tokyo in 2020 will be a sport where we see lots of British medals. I would have liked to have seen more coverage over the last couple of days, and I'd have liked to have seen them dress the venue a little bit better as well. I know that's a very small detail, but there was a lot of concrete exposed. I just wish that, and I know it's an expensive thing, and you know when you look at budgets for big events like Commonwealth Games and Olympic Games, they spend millions and millions on this but i would have just liked a little bit more branding across the venue brought that to life a little bit more mm. the diamond league made its way to the famous bislett stadium in oslo the place where steve ovet in 1980 and then steve cram broke the world record for the mile so much so it's dubbed the dream mile even though no norwegian has ever won it so it was the final event of the night once again with the two of the ingebrigtsens jacob and philip lining up jacob of course the youngster the european 1500 meter champion the noise in the stadium had reached fever pitch after the older brother henrik had already broken the norwegian 3000 meter record and also carsten warholm the world and european champion had broke his own personal best and a european record in the 400 meter hurdles oslo was buzzing but sometimes when you plan something to finish on a high doesn't quite work out that way and despite the fading sun on a super night it was Poland's Marcin Lewandowski who won it with a usual late dash down the finishing straight uh, denying Inga Britsons. British number one sprinter Reese Prescott pulled up during the men's 100 metres as well as he targets glory at world championships in Doha later this summer. CJ Uja was sixth in 10.18 as world champion Christian Coleman ran the fastest time in the world again 9.85 seconds. Got some big British athletics coming your way very shortly as well as we head towards the outdoor season. Terrific event at the start of July in Highgate, the night of the 10K PBs. Looking forward to watching that. It's a really imaginative staging of some 10K races. Obviously, you'll have the British Championships as well, uh, which will work, of course, as trials ahead of the World Championships. You'll have the Birmingham Diamond League meeting and the Anniversary Games returns as well at the London Stadium. It's going to be extra special on Saturday the 20th of July for Goldie Sayers, who will finally receive her bronze medal from the Olympics in Beijing back in 2008. That was reallocated after the Russian, who won the silver medal originally, was disqualified for a doping offence. Fantastic the British athletics are getting behind and giving Goldie Sayers her moment in the London Stadium. I'm sure there'll be 40,000, 50,000 there uh, to hear the anthem being played. And I know both you and I have witnessed this before when athletes like Jessica Ennis-Hill have received their reallocated medals. Great the British athletics stage something. They don't just send it in the post in a jiffy bag to you. I would like to see the IOC make more of a fuss. You know, lots of people have talked about doing these kind of ceremonies in Olympic stadiums during the Olympics time or as part of the opening or closing ceremony. I can't see the IOC doing that, to be honest, because I think if they did that, they would just basically be admitting some of the huge mistakes uh, that they've made at previous Olympic Games with, you know, so many of these offences and so many medals having to be reallocated. So credit where credit's due. Well done, British Athletics. going to give Goldie Sayers a day to remember. And two games, two wins for England at the Women's World Cup in France. They're safely into the last 16. Jodie Taylor's second half strike, enough to finally see off spirited Argentina 1-0 in La Havre. Spirited Argentina, uh, that's slightly kind. Uh, they were quite, quite uh, interesting, uh, some of the tackles flying in. Uh, Scotland, part-timers, of course, as well, and in their first ever World Cup, really struggling to qualify now after a poor first half against Japan. They saw them lose two goals to one. What was amazing in Vassiennes on the border of Belgium, the Netherlands progressed with their second win and a sea of orange in the stadium as they beat Cameroon and progressed. Uh, the Football's World Cup, Football Women's World Cup uh, beginning to catch the eye. 
we love a multi-sport games, both John and I, Commonwealth Games, uh, whether it's the Beach Olympics or the Olympic Games, we absolutely adore uh, big events that bring lots of athletes and lots of sports together. And the latest one is coming around very, very quickly in Minsk. It's the European Games. There's a British team of 101 travelling to Minsk after the, after the selection of the archers uh, were added to the 90-plus that were originally selected. Olympians Naomi Folkard, Patrick Houston, part of that. In total, 4,000 athletes, 50 countries, and 10 days of competition. There'll be 200 medal events. Now, the British are sending teams in archery, badminton, boxing, canoe sprinting, cycling, gymnastics, judo, karate, shooting, table tennis, and wrestling. Uh, remember in 2015 when it was in Baco, Team GB won 47 medals with a team of around about 150 athletes. On that occasion, Duncan Scott, Jay Jones and Nicola Adams were amongst the big high-profile names. Swimming was the most successful sport. I'm wondering whether this time around with the likes of Jason Kenny and Katie Marchant, whether the cyclists might be the ones to really capture the British public's imagination. And also Sally Conway, a medalist, of course, in judo in Rio, who is all part of this British team going to Minsk. Yeah, one of the greatest Olympians, Jason Kenny, as you say, is in the cycling track sprint team, along with Jack Carlin, Ryan Owens and Joseph Truman. Didn't have a great world championship, so we're looking to uh, see how they go in this. And in the women's track sprint as well, Rio medalist Katie Marchant, as you say, teams up with Sophie Capewell. Also, keep an eye on the boxing now, we know the success of Rob McCracken's squads in recent Olympics. You only have to look at the likes of Anthony Joshua for that. Twelve British fighters going this time, and one of them is Fraser Clark. He's the Team GB super heavyweight. He's 26 years old from Burton, and he's got a story to tell. He missed out on two Olympic Games uh, in London and Rio, but won gold on the Gold Coast for England. And he says all eyes are now on Tokyo 20, 2020. So Michael went to meet him to find out what the European Games means for him. We don't have too many huge competitions as boxers. We have, um, you know, Olympics, Worlds, European Championships, Commonwealth Games. So the European Games, uh, any, any Team GB event, you know, where it's a multi-sport event, they're big for us. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. And in terms of competition, what are you expecting when you get to Minsk? How would you describe it? Oh, it's, uh, it's one of the toughest. I'd say it's definitely one of the toughest. You know, there's some um, real good fighters going out there. Um, Europe's always a tough um, tough place to be, tough place to box. So um, I, I know for a fact I'm going to have to be on my, my best, at my best to, to achieve what I want to achieve, and that's obviously a gold medal. And the gold medal, of course, came on the Gold Coast for you, but there was disappointment in Rio before that. But what is it like going to one of these multi-sport events? Um, there's pressure, obviously. There's, there's always pressure. But this is what we prepare for, and um, this, this is the field I chose, you know, a long time ago. Um, so excitement more than anything. You know, I'm very lucky and very privileged. I get to travel the world with a group of my best friends and, and do what I enjoy doing. Don't get me wrong, it's very hard. Um, it's hard to be away from my family and stuff. But ultimately, you know, the the rewards are, bi- are bigger than, you know, the upset of being away. So for little for moments like when lifting my hand being raised in the Gold Coast and my hand's going to be raised in mints, for them moments, it's all worth it. And the European Games, it's a significant landmark, obviously, en route to Tokyo and the next Olympics. How much was being an Olympic medalist in your mind to, to go again on this programme for four years after after Brazil and Rio not happening there? Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, it was very difficult. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that, you know, once I knew Rio wasn't happening, I broke, I broke down, you know, I was... I sat there and cried because, you know, this is this, this is dreams. This is real life. It's real life drama. This is dreams. Um, 
But um, as far as it was a difficult decision, I suppose for a minute, and then I spoke to um, you know spoke to my boss Rob McCracken, and um, we had a conversation. And you know, I've got, like I say, I've got 100% trust in him. Um, one of the best people I've ever met. One of the best people in sport I've ever met. And like I say, I've got that much faith and belief in him. He, he asked me a simple question. He said, "Do you think you are capable of achieving a medal in Tokyo?" I said, "Well, yeah, I think I could have got a medal at Rio." He said, "Well, if you think you can get a medal at Tokyo, you should stay." And that was the, that was all I needed. I, I took his advice, whatever he advised, I was going to do. If he'd have said to me, if he turned around and said to me, "Right, I think you know it's maybe time to move on," I'd have gone. But he said, "You know, if you believe in yourself, which I do, you're going to stay." So it was an easy decision. All the best, immense. No worries. And Michael, as uh, Fraser Clark was saying there, he says this is a stepping stone, even for someone of, of Clark's experience who's been to the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, well, I mean, I think he had the opportunity to turn pro, certainly after missing out on selection in Rio, and he sat down and had a very big conversation, as we, we know now, with, with Rob McCracken. And Rob McCracken said, do you think you can go and win gold in Tokyo? He said, I think I can. And he wants to win that gold medal in Tokyo. And if people are talking about these European games as being, you know, not that important, not that interesting, well, I think it is for some sports. So you look at sports like archery, shooting and table tennis. Those three sports will be qualifying quota places for Tokyo 2020. So the European Games is an essential part of the progress towards Tokyo, the trek to Tokyo, whatever we choose to call it. So, you know, for the archers, the shooters and the table tennis players, this is very important. There's ranking points in other sports up for grabs as well. And when you look at some of those big names, people like Jason, Kenny, Katie Marchant, perhaps a little bit surprising to see them in this team. Clearly, it's an opportunity for them to show what they can do. You know, we haven't seen Jason Kenny certainly not performing anywhere near the heights that have brought him all those gold medals at mm. Olympic Games. So this is a chance for him to try and get himself back in the groove, if you like, in a, in a multi-sport games event where he's done so well. Back in, as well in a high-profile event, back on the track in the velodrome. For the likes of him and Katie Marchant, haven't really you know hit those heights in the, the two three years since the last Olympics. This is a, a fantastic opportunity just to put themselves back back in the, the, the thought process even of the selectors. Yeah, 10 days from the 21st of June. It ends on the 30th of June. Coverage on BT Sport and on Anything But F on Twitter, at Anything But F on Twitter. We'll keep you up to date. And talking multi-sport events, Birmingham 2022 will loom very, very large in the British sporting psyche. As soon as Tokyo's out of the way, all eyes will be on Brum. And the Commonwealth Games Federation have just completed a two-day visit to the Midlands. And they've expressed confidence in the preparations. The visit looked at the scope, the schedule and the budgets. They visited Perry Bar, where construction is taking place on the new Athletes Village. They also looked at the Alexander Stadium, which will have a big send-off this summer because a new £70 million investment will take that from a 12,700 capacity stadium to a 40,000 capacity stadium, which can host the opening and closing ceremonies of the Commonwealth Games, plus, of course, uh, the track and field events as well. The Birmingham 2022 Organising Committee gave presentations on the sport, on transport, security and the brand. And it all seems Birmingham, of course, who stepped in late to host this event, seem very much uh, on top of their game, if you like, as far as preparations uh, for the Commonwealth Games are concerned. And I, for one, really looking forward to, to seeing the event in a city where I had three very happy years living.
Here, here. Great Britain's men still in with a chance to finish in the top four of the Hockey Pro League after a last-minute draw against the Netherlands. Alan Forsyth scoring a crucial penalty stroke to finish the game 2-2. Unfortunately, the Dutch won the penalty shootout. Ashley Jackson, the nation's leading all-time scorer, returned for the first match since Rio 2016, claiming an assist. And after letting in eight goals in two games, Rio gold medalist Maddie Hinch missed out between the posts for the women's game against uh, Holland. Um, Sabi Heesh returning, but they lost 1-0 to the world champions and have only won two of 15 pro league matches and as defending champions still need to qualify for Tokyo Olympics next year. Congratulations to Lizzie Dignan who's won the 2019 Women's Tour as we turn our attention back to cycling. It makes her the first two-time winner of Britain's most prestigious cycle race. She was very emotional as well after taking the title. She'd been away, of course, from her daughter Orla, who she gave birth to nine months ago. It was her first title since giving birth. She was, of course, world champion and got to wear the rainbow jersey in 2015. On the streets of London in 2012, she won a silver medal in that road race and she's now putting herself back very much in the frame uh, to be one of the favourites for the road race potentially in Tokyo in 2020 so well done uh, to Lizzie Dyden she was back on the road in the Tour de Yorkshire did well there but without winning it but has won that 2019 Women's Tour and did it superbly well Huge swimming meeting in the south of France. The weather was more British than tropical, though, to be fair. It didn't put off Adam Peaty, though, a month before the World Aquatics Championships. The Olympic champion won the 100-metre breaststroke, just ahead of GB teammate James Wilby, both dipping under 59 seconds. Tom Dean, the 200-metre freestyle. James Guy, the 100-metre butterfly. And George Davis, the 50-metre backstroke, also won golds. And on the second night of action, Alice Thomas, James Wilby, Duncan Scott and Ben Proud all won uh, gold medals as well, while Peaty won another one in the 50 metre breaststroke it was a good night we'll round up more action of course from the world of Olympic and Paralympic sports shortly we'll be talking rowing, diving and a mention of the London Landmarks Half Marathon as well but you know the great thing about doing this podcast anything but footy is when we get the statistics, the analytics that come in it tells us how many people are downloading and listening, how many people are liking it, how long they're listening for, and where in the world they're listening to it. So if you're listening to it uh, somewhere overseas at the moment, I know we have a very broad Team GB focus. If you're listening overseas, though, uh, it's very nice to have you there. But here in the UK, as we record, we're celebrating Father's Day today. So I just wanted to mention a couple of sort of memories of watching sport with my dad, because I think both John and I would, would say it's our fathers that probably gave us our love of sport. They were probably the biggest influence as far as sport was concerned. I remember getting up in the middle of the night to watching watching the Los Angeles 1984 Olympics. I remember getting up in the middle of the night, my dad coming and waking me up in the middle of the night to watch uh, 88 Seoul and the men's 100 metres final. And we, we all know what happened there. And my early sort of memories of going to sporting events, my dad took me to quite a bit. He used to take me horse racing quite a lot. We used to go point to point racing every year on our summer holidays in the Lake District. Uh, we went to a couple of big Olympic venues as well, uh, Wembley and White City for the dogs. Yeah, my dad used to take <laughs> me greyhound racing. Uh, but I think somehow the trip to Wembley and White City maybe got me into my Olympic sport. We'd also go to Walthamstow, Milton Keynes. And as far as sort of footy was concerned, where we lived, Luton, Watford and, and Tottenham. Tottenham's my dad's team, really. So we used to sort of go to, to Luton, to Watford or Tottenham, depending really on, on you know what we could get tickets for and what games were taking place. And one in particular, I'm just going to mention, stands out to me. And that was Ozzy Ardiles, who had a benefit game at White Hart Lane. They played Inter Milan and Diego Maradona came and played. And it was, I think, probably the first time, certainly the first time he'd ever played a game in England. And it was such a huge event. I remember my dad and I turning up at White Hart Lane. There were queues all around the block. And we ended up buying tickets that cost us £4 
four pound at the time to go and see Diego Maradona and he was absolutely awesome best player on the pitch by a long long way so yeah just some of my my early sporting memories and as I said definitely I think it was my my dad and my relationship of watching sport and going to sport that really got me into sport. So happy Father's Day, Dad. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of athletes paying tributes to theirs as well. Uh, well done to Team GB for reminding us about Derek Redmond's dad, <laughs> who yeah. helped him round the 400-metre track at Barcelona 1992 when he was injured. That was a, a, a sight to see. But as you rightly say, Michael, this is a good uh, our podcast. It's our opportunity to thank our dad. So my dad for being as passionate about all sports and teaching me that, teaching me the beauty of sport, teaching me that men and women are equal it's just as exciting watching women's sport as men's sport um i've said before that we were both born in olympic years so it was always meant to be now my dad always told me the story that when i was born he went home to watch brendan foster in the montreal olympics now i thought that was the ten thousand meters where he won a bronze but actually on july the 30th 1976 it was the five thousand meters and he finished fifth however my love of athletics obviously stems from that um and i'd like to thank my dad for taking me to the alexander stadium in birmingham we've mentioned it already ready in this podcast to watch my first ever athletics meeting when we lived in the midlands the triple a championships uh forerunner to the british championships sitting on the grassy bank in birmingham they still kind of have them although they don't really let you sit there anymore uh watching the likes of kathy cook from memory uh birmingham stage the event there from 1984 and then 10 years later or so we were back watching our first olympic trials in 1996 before atlanta in the main stand of the alexander and i'm really looking forward to taking my dad back in 2022 for the commonwealth games he will laugh at this point and say if we're spared which is my typical attitude from my dad but you know that is the memories that i have and birmingham i can't wait as you rightly said earlier for commonwealth 2022 it's going to be put on a show and just to my dad thank you i could go on and on but thank you for showing me the beauty of sport and we have a premier league season with norwich city to look forward to this coming season as well <laughs> when you said you were born in Olympia, I presumed it was something to do with Jesse Owens. I thought you were that old. <laughs> anyway, you. you're listening to to anything but footy. Still to come, we'll be talking Rowan and the London Landmarks Half Marathon. But first of all, some diving news. Yeah, Olympic champion Jack Law and world champion Tom Daly will lead a 13-strong British team for the World Aquatics Championships. We've mentioned that already in Kwangju in South Korea in July. It'll be Daly's first major championship alongside new synchro partner Matty Lee and British champions James Heath. Scarlett Mew Jensen and Noah Williams will also be making their first ever world championship appearances. Good luck to all of the team. We were down at the London Landmarks Half Marathon earlier this year. Fantastic event. If you uh, were maybe caught with the bug, captured your imagination, the ballot opens on Tuesday the 18th of June at midday if you want to take part in the next London Landmarks Half Marathon. Now, 65,000 people have already pre-registered. The capacity of the event will be 14,000, so you need to get in and hope you're successful in the ballot. Remember, the event raised £7.2 million this year for various charities. It's a fantastic event through the streets of London. All the landmarks, as you would imagine, from the name covered there, Big Ben and Buckingham Palace and all the rest of it. And if uh, you do get in, the day you'll find out is the 27th of June, so you've got plenty of time to train. 
And why we do this podcast is looking ahead to Tokyo 2020 and lots of uh, big names are coming back and gearing themselves up for it. Rio 2016 Olympic gold medalist Will Satch, MBE, and silver medalist Polly Swan will make their return to the GB rowing team as part of the strong latest World Cup squad next weekend in Poznan in Poland. Uh, That is June 21st weekend. They'll both take their place in the men's and women's second four with Satch returning from injury and Swan back after completing her medical degree. You can get in touch with us. Email us anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. You can tweet us anythingbutf. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. And please like, share and download us from your usual podcast provider. So we started this episode by saying, when do you decide enough is enough? And for Anything But Footy in this episode, now. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.